This is the ICO Alert Podcast, Episode 5. I'm your host, Robert Finch, founder of ICO Alert. ICO Alert is the trusted source for analysis of ICOs, otherwise known as initial coin offerings. We maintain a comprehensive list of ICOs on our website at icoalert.com. If you're new to the ICO space or even the blockchain space, don't worry, we've got you covered. Head to start.icoalert.com, where we have helpful introductions to this exciting new world, introductions about ICOs, and introductions about the blockchain space in general. That's start, S-T-A-R-T, dot icoalert.com. My guest today is Peter Waterland, founder of the QRL, the Quantum Resistant Ledger. During the podcast, we'll talk about the QRL project, how quantum computers pose a risk to blockchains, and when quantum computers might be able to perform such an attack. Without further ado, let's get to it. Peter, thanks so much for joining me today. It's an absolute pleasure, Rob. I'm very pleased to be on the show. Yeah, it's great to have you. So QRL, of course, if if you all don't know, QRL is sort of an under-the-radar project right now. Uh, but they launched an ICO, or, or rather a pre-sale, uh, in May, and it actually hit their funding goal of $4 million uh, by the end of May before their ICO even launched. So very interesting. A lot of people haven't heard of it. Um, but before we dive into your ICO details, I do want to talk about that towards the end of the call. Um, I'd love if you could just give a, a brief overview of QRL and what it is and the problems it solves for those that aren't aware. Yeah, thanks, Rob. So um, the QRL, as the name would suggest, is is a is a quantum-resistant ledger, and what we are is is a blockchain startup, a public blockchain um, designed to resist the advances of a quantum computer. And I know, I know you're aware of that threat to the ecosystem, but for your listeners who aren't, um, quantum computing is probably now for the first time ever becoming real a real thing, a real entity. And all the signature schemes which which protect pretty much all the existing blockchains out there, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Every major chain, really, that exists um, relies upon, for, for account security, it relies upon ECDSA, elliptic curve cryptography. Um, and a quantum computer easily, that's suitably powerful, can easily break that. And by break it, I mean they can reverse a public key to get a private key and spend funds that previously were completely, completely secure against, against any form of com- uh, computing attack. Um, and so what... Our project is about is about building a very very secure um, public blockchain where that's not a possibility, and so there's a few aspects to that in our project. And I guess the most important is that we use um, a post quantum secure signature scheme called XMSS to protect all our accounts, and that's very different to very different to the existing systems because it's the hash based signature scheme um, which is stateful and is very very different very alien compared to sort of existing schemes for 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 coins like bitcoin and ethereum yeah could we take a second just to break it down i know there excuse me there are a lot of uh sort of terms flying around like with xmss and signature schemes and stateful could you kind of break down what that means for everybody absolutely so i suppose everyone who uses cryptocurrency should know that their funds are held in an address and that address is an address that only you should keep the private key for and the, by convention, um, in order to spend funds, you need to have the private key to sign the transaction. And if you don't have the private key, you can't sign the transaction, you can't move funds. 
Um, so cryptography basically backs all, all of cryptocurrency so far, and it's, um, it's, it's why it's so elegant and so beautiful, a construction. Um, and, you know, and what Bitcoin started with that idea of using public key, public key cryptography to protect funds, combining it with a with distributed ledger, the blockchain, uh, you know, it was remarkable, absolutely remarkable advancement. But that, that earliest point, you know, you, uh, protecting your address with a private key, which only you have control of, um, is at the moment is very secure, you know, it's unbreakable with current technology. But in the coming years, um, there, there will exist a, a computing platform called the quantum computer, which, which is able to do the unthinkable and break that, that cryptography. Um, by being very clever. <laughs> wow. Um, say again? I, oh, I was just saying, wow. Um, so essentially, yeah, yeah. this would allow anybody, assuming they have access to a quantum computer, to essentially gain access to your funds that you stored in a private key, or excuse me, in an address that's secured by a private key um, on Bitcoin or Ethereum or these blockchains. Is yeah, that correct? So, so, so the way it works now, if, if you send funds to a, to, to, a, to, a, to a cold storage address, if you haven't used that, that address, then there's no anyone ever can can get access to it even with a quantum computer they can't get access to it but as soon as you as soon as you spend funds from that address by spending the funds the public key to that address um goes with the transaction and is stored in the blockchain and then from that moment on that address is vulnerable and so a really simple way to protect all the cryptocurrency you know all the major chains will, will be to not allow pay, not allow people to spend more than once from each address but obviously that's very cumbersome and it doesn't doesn't really work particularly well um, with money. You know, the idea, the idea that you've got to move all your money every single time you spend it is 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 a challenge. And so, because people are people, you know, I think last time I checked, is about about half of all Bitcoin addresses have, have been spent from before, so that their public keys have been exposed. So a clever person could wait until the the technology advances and then go back and begin harvesting those addresses. And that that that's true for. Any any Bitcoin or Ethereum address, you know, which is vulnerable, which is which has been used. So, this is a really real. It's a really real thing. Now, the big question is, you know, when is this actually going to happen? And that, that's that's the that's the question no one can really answer. We're certainly not there yet. And myself and John Paul, someone else from the team, one of the other core developers, we went to a conference in Germany um, last month, um, hosted by. Blue Yard, a quantum fund, and looking really at, um, at quant uh, you know, the state of the art in the quantum computing world, and it, it was attended by all the all the major quantum computing startups. You know, there's representatives from Google, IBM, every, every major QC company out there, and you know, it, there's a lot of money behind this behind this drive because um, they're getting close now. <laughs> yeah, and how close how close do you think they are? I'm sure, like being able to listen to a lot of the panelists at that conference. Uh, titled A Quantum Leap, would probably give you a decent look at sort of the state of the industry. I mean, how close do you personally think we are? Are we a few years, a few months? What do you think? Oh, I, th I think we're a few years away, for sure. But I mean, one, one thing is difficult. I mean, Google talk about quantum supremacy, uh, this idea of building a, a commercial computer which can perform a certain task by the end of this year, you know, in a commercial setting. So that's not far away. But it's it's there's certainly a few engineering major engineering obstacles to, to overcome before they can build an error corrected universal quantum computer suitable you know to break ecdsa i mean that, that that's that's probably years away being honest about it but we what we don't what we don't know is you know what else 
is going on out there in the world and you know there's other major interests who have a lot of funds which can um can be spent to pursue this goal so i think if tech's taught us anything it's that these advances tend to be fairly non-linear when they come and if there's lots of lots of people chasing um the next big thing then we don't really know what's around the corner and so yeah the qrl is all about being ahead of the curve really and, and building something that can that can people can put their money in and be absolutely absolutely sure that that it will it will it will be secure for yeah, so, now and for so just to touch on the that piece about google are you saying that they'll have a, a commercial quantum computer by the end of the year that that's what they claim so theoretically when you say commercial do you mean like something that would be sold to consumers or is it something else uh great question uh, i you'd have to revert back to the exact presentation from google but but they they talk they talk about a roadmap um and and they're on their roadmap is this idea of google uh, of quantum supremacy and i mean they were saying openly at the conference that they have you know a, a computer capable of working to 49 qubits which is commercial grade already um it's, it's just not it's you know these are prototypes yeah could you explain for people what a qubit is because right now i know in in the current state of computing um it, it's very different where we have bits um things that are essentially a one or a zero a yes or a no and that's how data is stored using electrons but i, I think the general public and probably a lot of people listening to this podcast have no idea what a qubit is or how a quantum computer functions so if you could explain that that'd be great well i can try but uh, i'll preface this by saying that i'm i've got an interest in blockchain and in cryptography but i'm not a quantum physicist <laughs> so uh, first thing to say is that um conventional computers don't work that work in a totally different way to the way a quantum computer works um so quantum computers are made up of of qubits and it's my understanding that each qubit is also known as a gate and each qubit uh, unlike a conventional binary um one or a zero that they, they can they can be one or zero or any 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 position in between and by linking lots of gates of qubits together um, uh, and by using clever quantum algorithms it's possible to perform um, many calculations in sort of one step um, whereas conventional computers tend to work over a problem by iterating over it and you know you may have you may have you know many different um, cores within, within your CPU um, so your computer may be able to do many things at once but um, you know it may have 16 cores and it may, it may have many different execution lines, but it, it can't do things in a massively parallel way. Whereas a quantum computer can do things in a massively parallel way. It, uh, it, can't, it can't do anything and it's, it's, you know, it, is limited by, um, it is limited by physics, but, but it, it, does, it does completely change the way um, that, that computing works. And um, it's a shame actually that we haven't got um, Leon here to discuss it with you because he uh, he is actually the brains the, crypt the cryptography brains and the, the quantum brains in the project okay and that's that's our, our cryptographer because he can go on about it endlessly but yeah the short version is that yeah the short version is that quantum computer can, can do in sort of one step um you know sort of infinite number of permutations based on based on the number of qubits in the machine so so the more qubits there are um the more powerful the, the computer is and so at the moment we're talking about, you know, 20 to 49 qubits, which is what these computers can do. But, you know, realistically to get to a point where conventional signature schemes are vulnerable, um, it needs to be um, probably uh, at least 1500 qubits. So, so it's a fair distance to go. But as I say, there's, there's, 
about five or six different quantum computing startups that have got very different ways of going about it. So, you know, a breakup, a breakthrough could come at any moment. And yeah. that's yeah, the exciting thing. It's fascinating. I mean, it, it seems that there are a lot of parallels between quantum computers now and how they're sort of maintained or stored and computers like traditional computers back in the day when they were sort of first, first being developed. And what I mean by that is uh, one of the interesting things about quantum computers is you have to store them at an incredibly low temperature. It's, it's like negative 400 degrees Fahrenheit or something like that. And, you know, back in the day when computers were these massive things and they're in these air conditioned temperature control rooms, um, it seems like there's an interesting parallel there. Do you think that those problems can actually be solved? Like, will quantum computers in the future, when they're commercial grade, will they still have to be, you know, will they still have to maintain a certain temperature to keep the the qubits in that quantum state? Um, and uh, maybe speaking about this from sort of a naive or elementary perspective, so please correct me if anything I'm saying is inaccurate. Um, but do you think that's possible? Like, is that physically possible to make a quantum computer uh, that, that doesn't require a certain temperature to function? That's a great question. I, I, um, certainly, what I would say is that at the moment, from what I can see, every single, every single one of these designs, apart from perhaps using using optics and photons, um, does require that. Um, so that is obviously a major limitation. Um, but I mean, no one is suggesting that that a quantum computer is going to replace your, you know, replace your desktop or your laptop. But actually, what what is fascinating is what, you know what you said about it being like the early days, you know, from from when conventional computers first came to existence, you know, microprocessors. There was quite a lot of grizzly old guys there who, who, who were there at that time, you know, and, and they were saying that this is, this is the same, they get the same feeling from this, that this, this, this quantum revolution that's coming is exactly the same and that we are, we are very early on that, on that curve. But, you know, it's funny, I, I sat there with, my, with John Paul, the developer from the team, and um, we got a real sense in the room that, that something incredible, you know, is coming in the next in the next few years. Um, and there's that magic word from Silicon Valley disruption. I think there's going to be a lot of disruption from, from these machines when they start to really become commercialized and, and outperform conventional hardware. But I take your point, you know, that it's a non-trivial task and it's taken 20 years to get to this point. So um, there are obviously massive engineering uh, complexities around building these machines. Absolutely. And as you say, they need to be super cool at the moment. So it's not it's not something yeah. that's going to be on your wristwatch. Yeah. And I'm sure that, that people had the same thought about, you know, the computers that we're using now. Like if you had told somebody 20 years ago that eventually they would have a, a computer that's orders of magnitude more powerful than the giant computer that took up an entire research center, that they would have that in their pocket and be able to communicate with anyone else on, on the other side of the planet at any time. I mean, they would tell you that you were insane. So perhaps we'll see something similar with quantum computing where somebody, like you're saying, has a breakthrough and sort of enables that technology to, to reach the masses. But it will certainly be fascinating to see. Um, it's fascinating. And I think it's one of those one of those black swans, like the internet and telecommunications, I think it's probably one of the next one of the next big things to break through, but like all these things, timing is everything, and um, you know it's it's impossible to give you a firm timeline on when that's going to be. All we can do is all we can do is is be prepared, and uh, that, that's what our project's all about: being prepared. Absolutely, yeah. And could you talk a little bit more about? Um, you know, being prepared where, where somebody would theoretically be able to attack one of these blockchains and start brute forcing essentially private keys in a way by just reversing the public key and gaining access to people's funds. What would be the, you know, and speaking from a theoretical perspective, what would be the incentive for somebody to do that? Because uh, essentially once they do that to one or, or two or three keys and, and they continue to steal people's funds and people find out about it, you would one would expect the 
price of that particular asset, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum, to totally go to zero because people realize that they can't securely store their funds anymore. So what would be the incentive for somebody to, to try to steal that money if them stealing it and, and sort of performing that act would render what they just stole worthless? I think, I think there's numerous reasons why. I mean, um, that's a very, it's a very a wide question. I mean, the first thing to say is that cryptocurrency has a lot of enemies. I mean, um, it, it's just going through uh, its latest expansion, but it is, it is a threat to the legacy banking world. So there's a lot of entities around the world, I would, I would suggest, who would like to see um, cryptocurrency fail. That's the first thing. Um, so not, not everyone in the world is nice, and, and not everyone with access to state sort of level resources is, is, a, good, is a good player. Um, but the second thing you said, you know, stands out, which is, why would you want to attack something and send the price to zero? Well, I mean, as I'm sure you know, speculators um, make money with the price falling as well as rising. And that would be probably the most incredible short position to take of all time. Yeah, that's uh, a great point. That's a great point. <laughs> but the other thing is, I, I think I think it would be something you could probably get away with it for a long time. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of um, there's a lot of Bitcoin out there that hasn't moved for a very long time, and uh, I, th I think it would take a while, really, if um, before before people caught on. You know, you'd probably have a series. It, it's, it's about I guess it's about the um, it's about how this thing how this thing sort of unravels in the end. You know, whether it's orderly or disorderly. You know, if, if it's disorderly and there's a bad actor there, then then it's it's going to be a bad space for some time. I mean, what? what if there's a sudden emergence of, you know, uh, an error-corrected universal quantum computer that comes into existence, or is it, or is it at least, you know, within a few weeks of coming to existence, then, you know, all hell will break loose in the space. And, you know, the, it'll be, there'll be incredible volatility uh, in the cryptocurrency space. And, I mean, it's, it doesn't really bear thing. I mean, no, I, I'm a great, I, I'm, a, I'm a holder of Ethereum, I'm a holder of Bitcoin, so I don't, I don't want that to happen, but it doesn't, it doesn't really bear thinking about you can't you can't just stop the chain and and restart it because as soon as that kind of technology exists and is out there um there's very little you can do to protect protect the chain absolutely and going back to what you said about you know a bad actor i tend to agree with you that you know it would more than likely be somebody in the either the legacy banking institution or or perhaps even more likely uh, a government around the world that sees it as, as sort of a threat to their control of the the money supply um, as a result, sort of control over certain aspects of society. Um, it, one thing I wanted to talk about that, that I don't think a lot of people know is that the QRL is, is sort of more than just a blockchain, you know, to, to store value and to, to be this uh, value transfer layer. Um, it seems that you're also building in a messaging protocol into this, which is fascinating for me, particularly because it seems that the NSA, the National Security Agency at the, in the United States, uh, has a zero-day exploit into virtually every operating system in the world. So a zero-day exploit essentially means that they have an exploit that they found on day zero before the platform was launched, um, and, and they can essentially gain access to, to that platform and bypass a lot of apps that use encryption. So as an example, like Telegram, the app on iOS, which says that all their messages are encrypted, that may be the case, but the NSA can also theoretically access those messages before they're encrypted or before they're sent. Um, so if you could talk a little bit more about uh, that messaging layer of QRL, how is that integrated and, and will that also be quantum secure? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, and I have to say, I think we probably agree on a lot of things because um, privacy is something which has really disappeared uh, in in recent years. Um, so you're absolutely right. The, the, the primary sort of focus 
on our launch is going to be value transfer and you know uh, and value storage. But um, much like Ethereum has its whisper layer, we are building um, we're building a, a messaging layer called Ephemeral. That, that's what's what we've called it. Um, and one of the really powerful things about blockchain is it allows you to store data and um, store data in a way where you can associate data with a particular address and use that address as a cryptographic identifier, you know, so as a, as a form of ID. So uh, if, if you think about it, you can create an address on, say, the QR, QRL blockchain, and that can be sort of a dial-up address for, for another node on any device anywhere in the world that can access the QRL network. Can um, Theoretically, if you could build a data channel between the two um, that was private, you could you could create a completely secure end-to-end uh, -end, uh, data channel from one address to another address using using the blockchain um, um, but also also allowing sort of abstracted communication above the blockchain so we we, we have we decided quite early on actually um as a result of some discussions that it, this is a really fascinating thing that we could build and we think um and we think we've got a great design for it so um, so what we have is we have um, a system where we basically use the blockchain to to put special transactions which contain a which contain a couple of lattice based um, cryptographic public keys and then we use um, we, we basically use those as sort of sort of finder marker transactions which link um, which link um, one end of the channel to a particular address and only the person making the transaction has the private has the lattice based private keys for that address but anyone can send information to that address from any other address on the on, on the chain and we have we have a sort of secondary layer that runs and we call it ephemeral because the messages aren't stored anywhere um we have a sort of broadcast messaging layer that runs above the, above the blockchain um which is which allows um communication um in in, in a special way where we use something called a pseudorandom number function um seed um so okay let's go back so yeah there are a lot of complex terms being thrown out again and and well basically it, it, we, we we use public key cryptography to come to encrypt a message from one person um at one end of the channel to the other end of the channel and only the person who has the um the the private key which is linked to the uh the, the blockchain address is able to decrypt that and that message comes from in a verifiable way from someone else with an XMSS address on the, on the QRL. So, so you know, Alice and Bob open their channel to each other. Um, and we, within that first message is a seed which um, is used to generate a very long sequence of numbers which which become the IDs for the messages that then are subsequently transmitted back and forth between them. Um, and, that, and it also contains a key which um, allows symmetrical um, data encryption between the two. Um, and then so, so it's basically that, yeah, it's basically a way of being able to send a message to someone incredibly securely, where you're you're encrypting it, and then only that person can access that message because the message technically isn't stored anywhere. Correct. Correct. And and actually, we we in answer to your second question, is it post quantum secure? The answer is yes, because we we're using lattice based crypto, which is a different which is a different form of cryptography, which um, which Leon's very very familiar with. 
Um, and we're using that as our as our encryption decryption uh, system. Okay, so lattice based is just kind of like a new form of, or rather, not new, but a different form of math compared to elliptic curve cryptography. Exactly, exactly, okay. and it's and it's probably not. I mean, there seem to be many, many, many different algorithms over the last few years, but um, we're using a couple of the later ones, um, Frodo and Tesla, which I don't, I don't. I don't, I don't profess to know a lot about lattice-based cryptography, but um, but you know, say Leon, our cryptographer, does, and that that seems to be the state of the art um, at present. And so we're we're, we're planning to use that um, at both ends of our data channels, and then our, our sort of our plan for the next few months is we'll launch the network, but also also we're planning to build some libraries that allow allow apps and web sort of web-enabled um, devices to to connect uh, through the cloud through the internet. Onto the QRL network and sort of use our use the QRL as a sort of address book, if you will, um, uh, to allow us to allow completely secure, you know, private post quantum secure um, end to end communication. Wow! And it's not as communication; it can be data, it can be anything. You know, so you can sort of imagine that um, that you use this little handshake, this little little um, message passing handshake, to sort of create a an IP to an IP completely secure. Um, uh, connection for data transfer or you know communication or you know VOIP or anything so it's quite versatile and um, and that's that's probably the, that's probably you've asked me that's probably the most exciting thing about our project um, is building that but we're, at the moment we're really focusing on our proof of stake algorithm so although, although we've we've actually designed the protocol and we actually have some um, some sort of place uh, placeholder code there yeah, um, and let's just take a second but before we jump into the mainnet, because I do want to talk about that and when you think it's going to launch, um, and, and sort of your ICO structure of using an Ethereum placeholder token, an ERC twenty token. Um, but to sort of unpack that concept of of allowing anybody with an app or, or um, any sort of other application, whether it's a decentralized application or a traditional application, to link into the QRL and use that as the messaging layer that's completely secure. I mean, that to me is is totally fascinating. Will that be something that's available right away or are you working with with people to to integrate that uh could you give us a little more info on that yeah so actually the nuts and bolts of it is actually fairly it's fairly straightforward i mean um and that if you look at if you look at ethereum that there's you know there's there's quite a lot of apps coming to existence which which plan to use the whisper layer um on ethereum so you know, i don't think what we're doing is particularly uh, uh, groundbreaking in terms of technical you know proficiency or difficulty but what, what what is groundbreaking is is the idea that you combine a messaging layer and a blockchain layer together i think I mean, that's the really powerful um that's a really powerful idea and and in our particular case we, we're we're using you know post-quantum secure signature schemes based on a post-quantum secure blockchain so i think if you really care about security you can't get you can't get much more secure than that so that, so that i'm really excited about that and the question is is it, is it gonna be ready for when we launch i, I think we'll have have something ready um but i suspect it'll when we first launch it'll be it'll be probably confined to node to node um uh sort of communication initially using our using our implementation of the node software um you know the, we've got we've got a few um got quite a tight schedule to uh, to get around and we have to be realistic about what we can achieve in the next two to three months and we i think we'll ship with something um, but I, I think that'll be something that comes out a little bit more, uh, certainly with um, expansion out to allow 
abstraction out to apps and you know web enabled devices i think that's going to be something that comes in the following months okay so um, but certainly okay. we have it's funny you say have you had any interest or you know we have had interest from other people in the space and i'm not going to I'm not going to say any names or disclose any any companies but we have had people approach us about it because i think i think it is quite an exciting idea and for certainly things like corporate completely private end-to-end communication it, you know is a powerful powerful idea um and people have an interest in that so I, th- I think that could be one of the more exciting, um, one of the more exciting aspects of our project in the next in the next six to nine months. Absolutely. So talking uh, about timeline, then you mentioned two to three months um, as as kind of your your ship timeline. Is that really when you expect to launch the the mainnet? It is at the moment. I mean, we we we've had a. The funny thing is that we've had a proof of concept node that's been working since probably about November last year. Um, and that's gradually been sort of changed and upgraded, and um, and it's obviously we've we've done all right. We've done our pre-sale. And we've we've raised funds now to completely professionalise the development process, and so that that code base is kind of what's on GitHub is kind of on ice now, and we are in the process of um, completely overhauling that code base and making it security grade and and building up to be enterprise grade, you know, really secure, um, high quality uh, software, and that's 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 a non-trivial task, but um, you know, the short answer is it'll be ready when it's ready. But I, I, I we're hoping um, certainly to have our testnet back up um, using our final proof of stake algorithm in the next two weeks. That, that, that's our current that's our current aim. And really, Rob, it depends on how how much testing we have to do to be happy that it's working. I mean, what, what one thing that's great about launching the ERC twenty tokens is that we've gone from having just a handful of people on our Slack to having I think over over. 13, 1400, I think, last time I checked. Um, and that gives us a fantastic pool of, um, of alpha testers and people who are very keen uh, and, and, and found the project very exciting. So I think we'll be able to really ramp up our testing process over the, ne- over the, next, over the next two months. Yeah, that's great. Let's talk about that a little bit, the, the ERC-20 token. Um, so for those that aren't familiar, an ERC-20 token is a, a, an Ethereum token, essentially. It's a token that you build on top of Ethereum uh, as a network and you, you pay Ether uh, to essentially transfer that token to other people. So QRL is very interesting in that they used the ERC-20 token as a placeholder token, which will be convertible to the actual Quanta token once their main net, their main network launches. Um, and I'm really curious to know the reasoning behind it. I mean, did you launch this placeholder token, which obviously I think has been very successful for you, both both in terms of your market capitalization, but also, uh, like you're saying, with you know community engagement on your Slack? Was that really your goal for this to to sort of get more people, you know, get more eyes on your project, get more people um, sort of in the know about it? No, I mean, it's it's really funny actually because um, you know we're we're a fairly small team and we're we're all remote, um, but actually the team, you know, I think we viewed ourselves as a kind of unique project in the space and all about all about the tech all about the the, the premise of the project um and actually it was it was actually the people who want who were coming to us um putting in funds for the for the pre-sale who asked us specifically to consider this and you know at first we, we were sort of a bit dismissive of it but then it became clear that almost everyone uh, who uh, was putting was putting in funds wanted us to do it and you know it, it did make sense sense to me that it would it would certainly raise our profile um it certainly raised the pressure because you know we, we raised we raised four million dollars in our in our pre-sale um which you know will will cover our development funds and that that's what we that's what we wanted to raise but 
as soon as we went on the as soon as we launched on on the ethereum uh, main net with the erc20 token and as soon as soon as um, we went on exchanges you know our market cap went from went from 4 million to you know to what it is now um many many fold higher and i think we jumped straight into the top you know the top 50 to 70 on on the yeah. market site which was incredible you know none of us expected that and um it certainly uh, turned the pressure up. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it's totally different when you're sort of working in this, you know, low-key, low-profile environment and then to be thrust out in front of the community and people are suddenly, you know, relying on the team in a way to, to you know, accomplish the goals in order for uh, them to receive some sort of financial return. Um, so it is, it, I'm sure it, it's totally changed the dynamic. Do you think that it's it's changed the dynamic with the team in any negative way or do you think it's only made you all work work even harder? I think it's definitely made his work harder. Um, um, so that that that's I think that's a positive thing. You know, it's um, there's nothing more that that, that puts that, that sharpens your focus than than a thousand people wanting to know what's happening with the project. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, the, but the great thing about it is that it's we, you know we we were very very under the radar. We didn't really promote ourselves except except for sort of registering with with a few sites. Your, your site in particular. Um, we didn't really do much more than that, in honesty. In to be honest with you, in terms of in terms of PR and um, wow. um, we, we basically let the project sell itself, and we had no idea really how much we were going to raise with, with the pre-sale. And so we we actually set different scenarios, you know, what, what we could what we could fund with the developers based on how much we took. And and I, I yeah, I think I think I don't know whether it's because we, we raised this money in the middle of the sort of this, this great crypto expansion of 2017, or, or or whether people were just were really enamored with the idea that that what we're building is you know, potentially revolutionary, but, um, yeah, I think it might I, be, to be honest, I think it might be just to respond to that a, a little bit of both, but I think primarily it has to do with the concept because, you know, looking back at, at my sort of like crypto career, if you want to call it that first discovering Bitcoin in 2012, one of the, the sort of existential threats to cryptocurrency that I always viewed and that I would have long discussions with my brother about was quantum computing. So to see QRL pop up and, and sort of start to address uh, those potential problems and those potential challenges was really fascinating to me. And I'm sure a lot of the other members of the community sort of had that same resonance with your project. Well, I, I think some of them must have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. Um, and I think if nothing else, I, th I think we will certainly be, um, you know, a, a good, strong ultra secure public chain but i think if nothing else we will show that it's possible to do this in the crypto space and you know i think be a beacon hopefully for for the rest of the industry to follow on uh, as um as things get a bit closer to the wire um but back back to your original question yeah um are, are there any, any positives I, I think so that what, what, what you said is um absolutely right there, there were lots of positives i mean we've basically have a very 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 large community now compared to how it was only a few weeks ago um, which is brilliant. You know, same people who are very, very enthusiastic and uh, almost passionate about the project on the Slack. Um, and actually, it's, it's brought a lot of a lot of good technical people to us as well. From not not just programmers, but people in every sort of in lots of different disciplines have come to the Slack and offered their services. So it's it's been absolutely fantastic from that point of view. Um, are there any negatives? I mean, there, there are negatives. I mean, probably the most um, the most worrying thing is that is that is that we have no control over the price of, the, of this token, and it's um you know what, what, before before it was kind of a, it was my project. I started it off, and then I've, I've got the rest of the team have joined the project, and you know we're a strong team now, a very cohesive, strong team. Um, but it was it was kind of our baby, you know, and um and we were building what we were building, but now now 
uh, what we do, you know, echoes potentially echoes in uh, in the market price of the token, and um, and when the price goes up, that's fantastic. Everyone's happy. When the price goes down, you know, we feel a bit helpless because uh, it's out of our control. Um, but we just have to get on with it, I think, and and uh, stick to our guns and follow our our roadmap as best we can. I think everything will. Yeah, one of the one of the things I wanted to talk about, sort of jumping back to the very beginning of the conversation, was you mentioned, um, you know, a, a quantum attack really couldn't happen to a Bitcoin address if if you sent funds to that address once and you never sent from that address. But once you send a transaction from that address, the public key sort of goes out with that transaction, uh, and because of that, you can reverse the private key or excuse me, the public key to discover the private key, which unlocks those funds using a quantum computer. And you mentioned, you know, an easy fix for this, of course. Uh, or I guess relatively easy, because I'm not sure it's it's really that easy, um, would be to just make it so that everybody has to use a new address for every transaction. Do you think that there's something like, is there another solution to that that might be a quick fix for this that uh, existing blockchains could implement? Like, could they could they obscure that public key in some way when a transaction is sent? Or does that just totally undo, uh, like, is that a core function of the way that the, these protocols work? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, there, there probably are, there's, there's, probably, there's many ways to skin a cat and there probably are some tricks you can do. But I think, I think, you know, it's a fairly critical point to me personally, anyway, of Bitcoin and Ethereum is that, is that it should be that um, only the person with the private key is able to sign a transaction and that that is the transaction, you know. Um, I think if you start adding layers of abstraction, um, then it ceases to be, uh, you know, the, the pure Bitcoin that I, that I, I'm sure you did. Uh, similarly to you in 2012, you know, I came across it late 2012 and it, it blew me away, you know, the elegance and beauty of it and how powerful yet simple it was. Um, there may well be fixes and I'm, I'm sure i'm sure there probably are some fixes you can do but i, I think i don't think they're going to be anything more than a simple stopgap uh, to some put in yeah because i um, think that's you know sort of gauging community interest around qrl and and also you know as i'm looking through forums on reddit and, and different posts on the qrl slack and things like that it seems to me that the main question the community has is you know the qrl is great it it, it really sort of ahead of time which i think is the way these things should be addressed it addresses this huge issue of uh, quantum resistance and, and you know the rise of quantum computers um, but what most people are sort of curious about is you know how easy is it for an existing blockchain like Bitcoin or Ethereum to implement quantum resistance? And doesn't that then, in effect, sort of make QRL obsolete? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, and it's one, it's one you know, we hear a lot, especially um, with Ethereum um, moving forward with their, with their um, account abstraction in their roadmap. But I mean, there's a few things to say. I mean, the first thing to say is that, uh, is that, if you have a, if you have a blockchain with that's got sort of mixed address types where where some are quantum safe and some are not quantum safe, um, then if there is you know a nonlinear black swan advance um, or even just the, the rumors of a black you know black swan, um, then that will that will create you know massive volatility in in, in the price indexes of the various blockchains. Um, just just the threat of it will, will do that. Um, if it actually, you know, occurs and, and just just appears one day, um, then it doesn't really matter if 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 half your blockchain is is insecure and half of it's secure, then 
unless you freeze half of it completely and remove remove all those users funds from access then the value of the token will still go down to zero you know even if i would actually say that even if even if 10 percent of your blockchain is insecure is, is kept in legacy addresses then as soon as a qc arrives that, that is able to to plunder those addresses that the value of the blockchain token will go to zero because you know that's how markets work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so when you're referring to like half and half, half being quantum resistant and half not, is that referring to the Ethereum implementation? Absolutely. I mean, I, I actually don't know quite how far how far they are along with that. Um, I need to. I need to. I probably should look into that a bit more. Um, but I know that Vitalik was was planning on uh, creating some abstraction um, with one of their, one of their EIPs, which would allow potentially allow some form of quantum um, safe address to be to be created and used. I mean, what's interesting about 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 quantum safe addresses and you know you, the, the, this XMSS extended Merkle signature scheme system we use for the QRL is that it's you know that it's a stateful signature scheme, and what that means is you kind of have to know what's gone before. Um, and in that respect, a blockchain is fantastic because you know the whole history of every transaction is there for everyone to see. Um, but you you have to know which keys have been used already uh, and which keys haven't been used. Um, otherwise, the signature scheme itself is insecure. Um, I think that's probably a non-trivial thing to build into um, to build into Ethereum and and Bitcoin, um, especially if you want to think about things like pruning and you know and sharding and all, all these things for scaling. Um, if you're using a stateful signature scheme like we are, which is which is you know the state of the art in terms of post quantum security, so. I'm very curious to see what Ethereum builds, actually, um, and, and what they ship and when they ship the Metropolis hard fork, whether it actually does contain that or not. And, you know, I, I hope it does, but um, but I'm very curious to see what, how they go with that. Um, but to, to talk about this specifically, I mean, why work about, uh, why sort of build QRL and, and go through the, the trouble of building this entirely new blockchain if if you think, you know, Ethereum and Bitcoin could sort of implement this uh, relatively easily or with a Metropolis hard fork or something like that? Like, why not take your talent and your team's talent and sort of apply that to existing blockchains why why did you feel the need to build your own i mean that that's that's a fantastic question actually i when i first came up with the idea um uh, last year i actually did i did i did actually communicate with vitalik on reddit about about the project and um and he did suggest <laughs> at that stage that i engage with the ethereum process wow. um but um but you know i'm what i would say to that is that i would allude Back to our original, um, my original point, which is that um, you know blockchain should be about security. Um, I mean, Bitcoin when it first came out, you know, it, it's absolutely groundbreaking. It's this unbreakable, completely ungameable, um, elegant solution to you know to cryptographic money. You know, incredible thing. Um, yet it has this enormous vulnerability there, float you know, um, uh, waiting to erupt and, and dismantle it. Um, now Ethereum may may eventually create some form of quantum safe address, um, but people aren't going to use it because it's not going to be particularly easy to use it. I mean, I, take, I, I give a simple example from from our wallet software. It, creating one address using our system um, using XMSS, creating one address with you know, with five thousand signatures in it um, takes about fifty five megabytes up in, in in wallet space. So oh, wow. You know, 
exactly so so it's it's totally different way of looking at um looking at keys and and you know and, and, and addresses um so and I, I, my original point was that i think security is the most important thing of all when it comes to blockchain and and ledgers like bitcoin and the big ledgers going forward you know you've got to be able to provide security and i just don't i just don't believe and didn't believe um that anyone in the space is really taking this seriously at all you know um i looked around and there's i mean there are there's another project called iota iota which has some form of quantum um resistance because they're using they're using a one-time signature which is what we use the internet signature for um for their transactions so they, they've got a little bit of quantum resistance in their in their system although they're not a blockchain um but no one else in the space you know not a single project um was even looking at it 12 months ago and you know we were John Paul and I were sat, sat in this conference. We were the, we were the only startup there, um, only tech startup there, but pretty much all hardware and quantum quantum firms there. And you know, it, it became abundantly clear as we were sat there that you know this, we were on the cusp of a revolution here. And, and you just have to look at how long it's taken Bitcoin to not scale in the last three years. <laughs> um, to see, you know, what is it going to take uh, for, for these monolithic, you know, giant chains who've got very um how can i put it uh frozen development programs what's it going to take for them to actually move and, and move forward and, and make major changes that need to be made um i suppose ethereum is as in as in most things it's trying to eat up the space and it, it's making made a move in that direction but even ethereum will only offer potentially potentially offer the, the option of a quantum safe address that doesn't mean that the, the, the chain is secure in fact it means it's no more secure than a chain that doesn't have any quantum safe addresses really and unless everyone is using them it, the chain is so that that's why i wanted to build it really um to try and build something that's completely secure um um and you know i've been, I've been absolutely fascinated by the space i'm sure you have i don't know you kind of get sucked into blockchain and you get sucked into um into bitcoin yeah and uh as I saw an opportunity to build something really unique and exciting and um and I took it. Yeah, no, I think that's a great answer. I mean, going back to your point about, you know, Bitcoin and sort of the politicized nature of it, uh, I think, you know, while it may be relatively easy from a technical standpoint to sort of, you know, be quantum resistant to some degree, I think this this whole contentious hard fork situation that's happening right now with the the Bitcoin scaling issue, like should we increase the block size, should we not, how should we do it if we do, uh, I think that sort of proves that uh, implementing any kind of change to any of these existing blockchains uh, will be more difficult than people expect, just because it, it's so difficult now and has been in the past. Um, with the, the Bitcoin scaling debate, for example, going on for years, and now it appears finally we might come to some resolution, uh, even even though it may be a temporary resolution in August. Um, so to talk about IOTA, you know, we're talking about your competition with Bitcoin or Ethereum and them implementing some kind of quantum resistance. Um, IOTA, you mentioned earlier, and IOTA is, is not a blockchain, it's a tangle. So for people who aren't familiar, a, a tangle essentially functions um, not as a series of blocks, but it, it functions in a way that when you make a transaction, when you post a transaction to the network, in order for your transaction to be confirmed, you must confirm two other transactions. So you end up with this long tangle of transactions that are sort of confirming other transactions. And the nature of the this, this tangle is that it's effectively infinitely scalable because as more and more people are using the network, the more efficient and more fast that the network becomes. Um, but if you could talk a little bit about IOTA and how they're quantum resistant, I know there's been some sort of criticism in the community around it and whether or not they're quantum resistant because there aren't a tremendous amount of details available about the quantum resistance. But if you could talk about that, I mean, do you think that they are quantum resistant? 
Um, well, well, first of all, I should say that I think IOTA is a, is a really fantastic, innovative project. Um, it's probably one of the first projects uh, in the space for a while that I've really looked at and thought, this is brilliant. Um, really interesting. Um, I mean, the, the white paper is a bit hard to get through, but uh, it's, it's, it's a great project. Um, and I think the team seem, you know, very professional and, uh, and I think they're building something great. Um, what I would say is that they definitely are quantum resistant in the sense that their signature scheme for their addresses is, is based on precisely what we're using at the very lowest part of our, of our signature scheme. So, so in the QRL, um, you know, you have, let's say you have an address, um, where you put your funds, um, and we with our system you choose the number of signatures you want to have in that address and then the size of your the size of your wallet um file will, will depend on the number of signatures which you're able to make from that particular address um which is used to generate that many for every for everything every single sign you want you want to make a transaction you create a, pub, a public key and a private key pair something called the winternets uh, ots plus key pair and, and that that so that sort of smaller unit, which we then put into a giant Merkle tree and then condense down to form our form our our, our, our public keys and then our addresses. That smallest unit um, is what is what powers also powers uh, IOTA, I believe. Um, and so because that is a hash based, very very, very simple thing, very uh, hash based um, uh, signature. Then yes, by definition, as long as their as long as their cryptographic hash function is sufficiently powerful um to be able to withstand a quantum attack following you know grover's algorithm then yes it is it is quantum resistant i would say okay very interesting yeah because i know the the sort of general consensus of the community or a lot of the concerns that people had were just that it, really they didn't have any explanation of how it was quantum resistant in their white paper in their sort of project overview it just was this like little tacked on point at the end like oh by the way we're quantum resistant which i think people sort of threw up and rightfully so threw up red flags but it's always interesting to get somebody you know who's who's more familiar with the space and to sort of validate that and i think you know, IOTA has taken steps now to, to address it as well. Uh, but it's very interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the most interesting thing, thing about it is is actually not the fact they're using this this one-time signature, but actually actually the, the, the DAG, you know, the um, the Tangle. I mean, that it's, uh, it's, I, need, I need to read more about it, actually, because it's, um, uh, it's, it's, as I say, it's the first project which isn't, which isn't a conventional blockchain to enter the space for some time, um, which has the potential to disrupt the space. So... Um, it's pretty exciting, actually. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was pretty fascinating to me. When I heard Tangle, I assumed it was just some new buzzword for their blockchain. And then when I did a little more digging and, and realized, wow, this is a totally new way of sort of maintaining a distributed ledger, it, it's it's a pretty fascinating project. I mean, do you see any, and maybe maybe there is no synergy here, do you see any potential collaboration between you and, and IOTA or, or any synergy there? Well, I think it, I think it has to be... That's something we're going to look into. I mean, um, I'm, I'm open to collaboration with with any anyone in the space who is um, who's going to be beneficial. To, you know, where it's beneficial for both parties. Um, I think you know. I think there's an element in the crypto space of competition between different different projects. But I, I think if um, I think if you know the last few years have shown anything, it, it's that it, uh, you know different chains come out which have different functions so um you got you know monero which offers privacy and then zcash comes along which also offers privacy they're both both excellent solutions to that problem and they both coexist very peacefully um 
So I, th I think there can be more than one um, project in the space that offers offers similar attributes and um, protections. Um, but yeah, I'd be very open to collaborate with them if 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 we could find that in a mutually beneficial way. Yeah, fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point too about sort of this competitive aspect. Like, there's this whole war with some members of the community, if if I could call it a war between Bitcoin and Ethereum, and oh, the flipping and Ethereum is going to overtake the market cap of Bitcoin. Where I think, you know, sometimes there's a fundamental misunderstanding that potentially the two platforms could coexist and potentially even offer two totally different value adds. Bitcoin being more of a store of value, and Ethereum being this sort of platform for accessing distributed computing power. Um, so it's it's always good to hear, you know. It seems that the creators in the space, you know, you you especially with with that comment, always always sort of like to work together with everybody else, and I think that's a great sentiment uh, because sort of a, a rising tide rises all boats. So that's great to hear. But I think uh, that's probably a good place to stop. Um, if you have anything you'd like to add, you know, that we didn't cover about QRL, or and if you could also tell the audience where they can learn more about it, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, so the, the, probably the best place uh, for people who want to get involved or to find out about more about the project is to go to. Um, the qrl.org um, and that's our webpage it's got um, it's pretty spartan but it does give links to github and to our white paper and to our slack where you know pretty much around the clock um, there's you know the whole team is remote so we've got we've got people all around the world um, there's usually someone awake to, uh, to have a chat to you if you come on so we'd love to chat to you about the project and um, um, hopefully we can meet as many of you as possible Awesome. That sounds great. So the QRL.org, everybody, if you're interested, go learn more about the quantum resistant ledger. Uh, Peter, thanks so much for joining me. It's been great chatting with you and best of luck with the mainnet launch. Thank you very much, Bob. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I sincerely appreciate it. If you'd like to request someone to be on the podcast, tweet us at ICO alert and let us know. We're trying to cover all the ICOs that includes past ICOs, present ICOs and ICOs that are of course happening in the future. Thank you again. And if you haven't already, please do subscribe to get updates when we publish a new episode. Also, don't forget to check out ICOalert.com for our in-depth analysis of upcoming ICOs, as well as our comprehensive list of every initial coin offering. I'm your host, Robert Finch, and I'll be back next week or sooner with a brand new episode.